Hey everybody, welcome back to the Heavy Debriefings Podcast. This is Josh Ronquist here along with... The Metal Fairy. And it's great to be back, uh, especially after uh, the past week uh, putting up all three episodes that we've recorded so far uh, going up on YouTube. And especially episode three has really caught on with over 100 views, which I did not see coming. But I'm so very thankful if you're checking out the show because of that podcast or if you're Mm -hmm. checking it out in podcast form. Absolutely. I'm glad I haven't turned people off yet. (laughs) I'm glad I haven't turned people off from what should be the Metal Fairy Show. (laughs) But um, we should have a fun-filled show for you this week. Uh, We got some new stuff we'll be premiering here uh, uh, with uh, segment ideas. Uh, We got some sad stuff to talk about as well, too. So, you know, it's a good mixture of reality going on here. So let's just get the bad stuff out of the way and talk about something that really hit me very hard Mm -hmm. and hits you very hard as well. The death of Paul Rubens, a.k.a. the spleen (laughs) (laughs) in Mystery Men. But no, seriously, of course, Pee Wee Herman uh, passing away from cancer this past week. Mm -hmm. Definitely super sad. I love Pee Wee's Playhouse growing up and uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure was my favorite movie from him. Like, I remember my fa- one of my favorite scenes in all movies <laughs> was in that movie growing up. It was uh, when he was rescuing the animals from the burning uh, pet store and Twisted Sister was filming their music video in the nearby <laughs> alley or street or whatever. Um, it was just, it was one of my favorite things ever that I'd watch all the time. Every time it was on TV, I'd watch it. I just adored it. And that was my first exposure to Twisted Metal, actually, was hearing Burn in Hell. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, like, I, that was the first time I actually knew who they were. That was the first time I ever saw them. Of course, I didn't grow up with MTV where I, where I lived. Oh, uh, you mean Twisted Sister? You said Twisted Metal. Oh, sorry. Twi- <laughs> Twisted Sister. My apologies, like, D. Snyder and Company. Or something? <laughs> no, yeah, that was my first instance of seeing Twisted Sister and you know, the car and... Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that it had burning hell and then there was yes. the fire going on yeah. and all everything that was going on with it. It was just perfectly well written. And Absolutely. I'm so glad that that made it into basically a kid's movie. Yeah. And him rescuing the snakes was so relatable. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, he was so kind hearted that he wanted to save them because they're living creatures. But at the same time, it scared him so much. He just passed out once he got out. <laughs> like, yep. Same here. Same here. <laughs> and it also has the single most terrifying scene in all of cinema. For you. For the world. Okay. With okay. two syllables that send a chill down everyone of a certain age's spines. Large Marge. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was never that scared of it growing up. But, you know, you're a youngster. Well... See, that's the thing. It's just like, it's so unexpected. That's true. That's true. And that's where, you see, like in a horror game, for example, you expect horror things to happen so you're not as scared. Yeah. When you're watching a horror movie, same kind of thing. You expect the unexpected, not just control denied. Expect the unexpected. But when it's in a kid's movie and then all of a sudden it goes into the claymation face from hell... It's scary. And if you're of a certain age, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Of a certain age, I would get that. Yeah. But I mean, overall, like from my age, like you expect weird things to happen in Pee Wee Herman. I mean, he has talking chairs and flowers and stuff. It's not that that crazy. But but Big Adventure came out before 
Pee-wee's Playhouse. So, you know, not that many people might have been aware of that. Well, at that's the time. true. I don't think I watched it till after, but <laughs> But of course there was also Big Top Pee-wee, which was nowhere near successful or good. <laughs> and then uh of course, uh, Paul Rubin has done so many other great movies, like I already hinted at, The Spleen and Mystery Men, yes. which uh, might allude into something that we talk about later involving superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually amazed that you enjoy Mystery Men. I didn't think that would have been your kind of thing. Yeah, I definitely went through a phase where I was like really into Ben Stiller. So I enjoyed a lot of his comedies. And Janine Garofalo is my girl. Like I love her. Yet, I'll never get you to watch Larry Sanders, ever, even though she's in it. No, probably not. That should be another one for What's Your Problem. But anyways, (laughs) um, uh, Pee-wee did make a huge comeback after all the problems that he went through. Uh, he was able to bring back Pee-wee uh, for a live stage show and also a Netflix movie that I remember us watching. I don't remember too much about what happened. I remember your man Allseed was the co-star of the movie. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And single and ready to mingle now, girls. That's right. And his uh, ex-wife Sophia is uh, single as well. And I'm going to be staying away from that because I, <laughs> I find her to be one of the most annoying voices in all of Hollywood. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm still amazed that uh, Paul Rubens was able to deal with all of this in private as, you know, it's just like everything feels like it's in the camera's eye. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was able to keep it a secret, no one outside of people who knew him the best would have ever known any of that was going on. And that's pretty miraculous that he didn't want the the image of Pee Wee to be tarnished in any way. He didn't mm-hmm. want people to feel sorry for him. He yeah. just wanted to continue to live the rest of his life. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's gone through cancer, having somebody with cancer in their lives, they know what a hard thing that is to go through. And like, it, it's just, it's terrible thinking about it, but what a strong guy to just kind of take that in his own and, you know, not, not make it a public thing. Exactly. And it's it's really something to admire. Of course, he's had a lot of demons in his past, uh, did some things he probably shouldn't have done, and some accusations that turned out not to be true. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's great to see that he was able to uh, keep that magic going for decades upon decades. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the world is a little bit sadder with him gone. Absolutely. So we got some... We're going from sad news to some kind of controversial news. (laughs) I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Um, Minnesota's own Lizzo in the news. Yeah, so she came up in the news. um, Some of her her former workers, I think it was dancers, and I don't know if it was like personal assistants and stuff like that as well, but uh, came out with some uh, accusations against her. Um, I won't go into full detail, but uh, some of it was... Um, very, very inappropriate, like making them do uh, inappropriate acts with um, sex workers. Uh, it was also uh, some like harassment type things that were brought against her. And yeah, um, it's pretty, pretty disturbing if you like read into it and stuff. Um, she has come out now kind of not really giving an, ans- an answer or any kind of clarity around the situation, but just kind of saying it's not going to bring her down being accused of this stuff. What a bananas response <laughs> to all of that. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you look into it, you you know what I'm talking You'll about. Know. But, but yeah, it's just... It goes to show that anyone can be capable of doing heinous, heinous things. Yeah. And it's 
you know, it's just like, you can be both like a hero to some people, you know, like a lot of people love Lizzo because she is a sassy, bigger African-American woman who gained a lot of popularity for being herself and uh, not caring about the Hollywood body image and just having that sassy personality to her. But it also shows when you flip the coin... When you look behind the curtain, there can be some terrible things that people are still capable of. So you can't always hold everyone up on a pedestal because that will be a very bad image if it turns out that they have done some very heinous things. Yeah, well, and if all this is true, I mean, I I know it's always he said, he said, she said. Um, and As more, Fred Durst said, yes. it's all about the he said, she said. Exactly. Um, and I, more people have come out against her since then as well, so it's looking not so good but if this is true like and i i've never been a lizzo fan but i know a lot of people do look up to her because she has been so body positive but then in these accusations like she's tearing down other people for their body image so oof oh definitely and you know it's funny like uh, we talk about paul rubens in something sad, mm-hmm. something very shocking here with Lizzo. Yes. And one thing I'm going to bring up now, uh, because I showed you uh, shortly before we started recording. Yes. Um, only people of a certain age will even remember this band because their music has been pretty much scrubbed off the earth unless you own the physical albums. Yes. Uh, lead singer and pedophile Eden Watkins of Lost Prophets has been brutally stabbed in prison. And yes. all I can think is I'm amazed it took this long. Oof, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not going to go into full details about it, but uh, to rearrange the Big Lebowski quote, two-year-olds, dude. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, mm. <laughs> you kind of paved your own path with that. Yeah, and, you know, there's a whole argument about... Can someone like that be mentally changed for the better? Can they get through those kinds of things? We're not the people to really have the answers on what can be done about that. I will say I just feel bad for everyone that he's ever harmed. I feel bad for his band who, I don't know if they do anything else in music, but I'm sure that they had to uh, completely change careers after all this came out. I think so. You know, just everyone that he's affected over one of the most heinous things that you could think of. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's uh, the, all the great positive uh, news that we got <laughs> going on right here. And we might as well keep uh, this uh, negativity rolling right here as we go into What's Your Problem? Do, do, what's your problem? Do, 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 boo. <laughs> uh, yes, it is the Metal Fairy's turn to talk about how... Things are going to be not up her alley this week. (laughs) You see, as um, you you may know if you've listened to the show or if you know me or if you've listened to The Metal Fairy, we both enjoy the superhero genre. Yes. Um, We're going to be talking about a specific show that we finished up later in the Mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. Um, We both enjoy going to the Marvel movies, although some of them we miss. Yeah. Um, the DC movies we're basically holding off on until James Gunn takes over for obvious reasons. For the uh, most part. Although the Robert Pattinson Batman movie is one of the best Batman Absolutely. movies. I don't care if we're in the minority for that. <laughs> that is how we feel. Yes. But I'm not entirely sure how 
much it's really affected the metal fairy when she was growing up and when she started getting into all this but i know my pathway into superheroes was the cartoon animated shows that i grew up with like batman the animated series the x-men animated series all the show or all the movies that they made behind it um uh, a few years ago, they actually made The Killing Joke, uh, rating, rated R, which I never would have thought would be in animated form because I thought yeah. it would be uh, too sadistic to be able to show off. <laughs> but here's the shocking turn of events, uh, record scratch. <laughs> Outside of Harley Quinn, you don't like superhero animation. And all I gotta ask is, what's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> um... So, number one, I will say, I'm kind of picky with my animation styles. And for the most part, like, a lot of the superhero animation styles are just not my bag. I just, I just don't like them. I just don't like them. But one thing that we haven't talked about on the show yet, which yes. I'm kind of surprised that we haven't talked about, yeah. we, we're both avid comic book collectors. Yeah. Especially starting this year, we both really started getting into comics. Yes. And so many of the shows do look like the comic book form. Yeah. So that confuses me. Well, I mean, number one, to point out, we're more comic book collectors than we are readers. <laughs> At least thus far. Um, beyond that, though, like, comic books, I can kind of do my own time. I can read it as I want to. And it's, like, I'm not a big reader, <laughs> I'll just be honest. But, like, when I read them, at least there's pictures. Whereas, like, animated series, like, you you just got to sit down and, like, take it all in. Take your poison. Um, yeah, yeah, I just don't, I, I get what you're saying, but it's still a different media form. It is a different media form, but they can tell the same stories. And some of them sure. are more hard-hitting than the live-action versions. Um you know, a show that I would love for you to watch, even though I know you won't, mm -hmm. uh, is the show Invincible, which uh, mm -hmm. has uh, one of my favorite actors and one that I know that you enjoy, J.K. Simmons, is yes. Omni-Man. Yes. Um, it is a brutal superhero show that has so many great shocking moments that if you like Harlequin, I think you would really enjoy Invincible. And I might. Um, I would also say growing up, especially like whether this was actually the case when you watch them or not, it just seemed like so many of them were geared more towards children. And I, I know some of the ones as of recently, like you're mentioning, are more adult oriented, but it's, it's really hard for me to shake that. But that's kind of the idea with like the comic books as well, too. I mean, the stereotype is that, oh, well, the comic books are just for children. Oh, absolutely. And of course, mm -hmm. uh, the deeper stereotype is that they're just for little boys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think the live action superheroes have proved that they can be for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I never really had a conception with the comic books growing up, whereas I did with the TV shows. But don't you think you want to change that conception at all, though? I mean, there's so many... Like, you could learn so much more about Poison Ivy if you watch Batman the Animated Series, for example. I know Poison Ivy yeah. is probably your favorite villain. Uh, she's up there. She's up there. Well, the easiest on the eyes, I know, for oh, you. Oh, for it's... sure. Well, yeah, I mean, Batman the Animated Series, I mean, it's got the best Joker. Mark Hamill is the best Joker. You can say Heath Ledger, <laughs> you can you can say Jack Nicholson, oh. you can say Cesar Romero all you want to, but Mark Hamill is the best Joker. According to you. And, I mean, you can't say that because you haven't seen Mark Hamill as the Joker. I mean, fair. That is fair, but at the same time, 
we both haven't seen Tommy Wiseau do his full reenactment of the Joker either. So until that happens, I don't think either of us can say fairly. Although we did get to see that again when we did go to see the the room uh, back in June, <laughs> where I got pelted with spoons. Yes. I guess that's what I get for uh, sitting close to the front row. Yes. <laughs> and yes, that is very much true. Yes. But for what we have in the world right now, yes. I think Mark Hamill does the best Joker. He has the best voice for it. And what about He-Man for that same reason? Mark Hamill is Skeletor. Mm-hmm. And he does a fantastic job as Skeletor. Yeah. But you don't have a problem with He-Man in animated form, no. even though it's the same idea that it was a little kid's show. And I watched it as a little kid. I loved it. It was my favorite show. <laughs> So why would it be so absurd to check out Batman or Superman or Spider-Man or X-Men? Well, as a young kid, I wasn't into them, though. But you, you don't think that you could sit back and enjoy it now? It would be a hard pill to swallow. Now, I understand it from some point of views. Like, the brand new Superman series that's going on through uh, Cartoon Network. I'm not sure if it's Adult Swim. I can't remember. Um... Uh, the new Superman, where it has more of an anime style, which I know you're not into anime, and neither no, am I. not at all. I can understand it that way. But a lot of superhero shows don't have that anime look behind it. Right. So, again, like, I'm, I'm still perplexed on all of this. Because <laughs> I think you really could enjoy it. You could have a deeper look behind the curtain. I mean, do you want the live-action Poison Ivy to be Uma Thurman? No. Do you want that to be the representation for her? No, of course not. I mean, of course there is the Harlequin version yes, of Poison Ivy. Is. I think that's like Bell who does the voice for that. But, you know, it's just like th- there could be more appreciation for the characters that you enjoy. Like, I love Bane. I love Bane. <laughs> <laughs> I just want my pasta maker. <laughs> but I also enjoy the original incarnation of Bane from yeah. the original Batman series as well, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's... To me, it's like different series of the same characters. You, sure. You can enjoy in the adult animation. You can enjoy the more kid-friendly animation. You can enjoy the live action. I I don't see why you have to segregate them. Um, I, I would be open to maybe trying some of the more adult-oriented ones. I don't know that I could go the kid route at this point unless I... For more kid-oriented shows, for the most part, unless I grew up watching them, it's just not going to be my thing. Well, it is more kid-friendly, but they also, they're not like for babies, you know. They're, well, I get that. They're for like the younger, or well, the older kids. Right. Not necessarily teenager, but you know, just that little area in between. And, you know, like I talked about before, the killing joke, that was rated R. Yes, do you remember anything about that, or is that too far gone? No, I completely lost that in my mind. All right, fair enough. Well, <laughs> I still think Invincible might be something that's up your alley okay. as well, because J.K. Simmons is always been one of my favorite actors. Uh, yeah. I know you started to appreciate him more because of Whiplash, which is a fantastic movie. Yeah. I, I mean, he does an amazing uh, character arc throughout the whole thing, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe at some point, I'm not going to push it on you. Yeah. But... Maybe. Maybe. So, I guess that's your problem. That's my problem. All right, so that was me trying to defend cartoon animation for superheroes and maybe have gotten the Metal Fairy to check things out. Maybe. But now it's time for her to check things out whether she wants to or not with this musical roulette of picking out three random songs. Yes. I've noticed people have been enjoying this and uh, getting your insights into 
uh, random songs, <laughs> whether you're telling me the truth about how you really feel about it or not. Yes. By most people, I mean myself most of all, because I love <laughs> hearing this. And it's time to uh, start with this, uh, starting with the first song. All right, so for this first one, I went with a band that is uh, very near and dear to me, and of course all the uh, sad F-boys that are out there in the prog and doom territories. <laughs> of course, it is the band Catatonia with probably their best-known song, My Twin. Uh, of course, uh, you've heard me play Catatonia all the time. I've interviewed Catatonia many times mm-hmm. since... We've been together, but I don't think you've ever actually gone out of your own way to check out Catatonia. No. Uh, So what do you think of particularly probably their best known song? Yeah. Um, this has been a band that you've always told me I should check out more on my own. Like, uh, like you said, I've, I've heard them a lot through you, but my kind of process of really getting to know when like a band, I have to listen to it on my own. And it's always been on my list of bands I need to listen to, but I never have. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've heard this song quite a bit, and I really like this song. I mean, it's very, very like deep, very dark, very emotional. Um, his vocals are really nice. I love the music. Like, it's, it's a really great song. It really is, and Catatonia is filled with this pretty much throughout their entire discography. Yeah. Maybe not so much the Death Doom territory you're not really going to hear a song like this but everything past uh, the first couple albums you'll always find at least a couple songs like this and Mm -hmm. this is more on the uh, heavy prog side of what they did i mean a lot of people find influences from like tool and meshuggah during this i don't really hear it but i know a lot of people think that i think they just sound like a dark heavy band that has some prog moments thrown in there but it's super melodic super gothic very um my twin in particular you know just like a a really sad breakup song yeah and uh there's a reason why it was in my uh, top uh breakup songs back uh on my youtube video yeah uh back for valentine's day you know just to twist the knife a little bit more (laughs) when you really read the lyrics it's really hard-hitting it is it is uh, hearing this song, would it inspire you to check it out more? Yeah, definitely. That's all I wanted to hear. So now a song too. Yes, the exact opposite, uh, probably, of the Metal Fairy's enjoyment here, where you enjoy something a little more gothic a little more dark, is a band that is, at times, very gothic and dark, but um, I'm going to let you put everything in the words here. It is uh, the band Maudlin of the Well off the album Leave Your Body Map with the song Gleamin' Ranks, mm-hmm. a song that uh, occasionally comes up when I'm listening to stuff. Yes, it does. And... Apparently, you don't feel the same way that I do. Um, I mean, to quote Will Ferrell from Zoolander, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) It sounds like somebody turned on five albums of completely different genres all at the same time, and they're all playing at once. I failed to see the problem. I'm going to leave now. (laughs) No, come on. Come on. (laughs) No, I'm gone. I'm gone. (laughs) But no, it's it's absolutely horrendous and nothing enjoyable about it. No, no even when it gets metal, no. the double bass, no. the screams. That's not all. There's like other genres on top of that. Yeah. No, I'm trying to find the positives for you. Yeah, I you can't. Uh, and you hate the name as well. Yes, I it noticed. just annoys me. 
Even when I tried to explain it to you a couple days ago, what yeah. it actually means, yeah. I think it actually made you more mad. You can't polish a turd. Uh, if you are checking it out, uh, allmediareviews.blogspot.com. I apologize for the, the words given by the metal fairy. Sorry. <laughs> now let's see if we can find something. Maybe you'll enjoy a little bit more here with the, with the third song here. And for the third song, we go with a band that has meant so much to me over the years. Not every album is a hit for me. Some of them are kind of uh, collar tugging for me, but <laughs> the albums that do hit hit me very hard. And this is a particular album that is that way. My favorite album of 2017, Pain of Salvation. And the song On a Tuesday. Maybe not the perfect song to first show someone off of this album, but I still want to see your thoughts on it. Uh, from uh, the capoeira expert, Daniel Gildenlow. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you've definitely played them a bit throughout the years, and I've, I've known about the importance of them to you and stuff. It's always been a band that I've, I've meant to check out more, because I feel like if I really listened to them, I could get into them. Off, like, just a, an initial listen, they're they're okay. Like, I f he has a very unique vocal style, I will say. He kind of reminds me of, like, that troubled, deep boy that you want to save. <laughs> and very easy on the eyes as well. He, he is. He is. Um, so, I mean, initial listen, I, mean, I may have heard this one in the past, I just don't remember. But initial listen, it was perfectly fine and enjoyable. Could get into it more if I listened to it more, but, yeah, nothing bad about it. I imagine that you like the chorus more than the verses. If yeah, I, had to guess. I mean, definitely more my style. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing with like Pain of Salvation. I mean, sometimes it's just chock full of th that great chorus goodness. Sometimes it gets a little wackier on things. Sometimes it gets a little more electronic, like the, the latest album, Panther, which was not really my bag, baby. But there are a lot of albums I think that you would enjoy from the band. Absolutely. And there you go. Three random songs where... Uh, either loved it or hated it or thought it was okay. <laughs> All right, so up next, we have a brand new segment. Uh, we might do this intermittently, yeah. sparingly, depending on how we're feeling, but yeah. this is a debate that we have had pretty much ever since we first started talking about this band all the way back in the day. Yeah. Um, of course, I mean, in our personal lives, I feel one way about the band and you feel a different way. Yeah. What genre is it? <laughs> On the very first episode, it is Symphony X. Yes. And of course, the easiest answer is their progressive power metal is how they're usually recognized as. Mm -hmm. But when we first talked about it, I've always considered them to be more of a prog band. I've always considered them to be a tad more on the power side. Who's right? As, <laughs> as we battle to the death to decide something so unimportant as what subsection yes. of the genre Symphony X is. I will be defending the prog side. You'll be defending the power side. Yes. And I'm going to let you go first as you had to sit in the hot chair for the first one, for the previous one. So you go here first. Yeah, I I mean, I think vocal style is very much more on the power side. Um, I think, I mean, when you think about prog metal, like straight up prog metal, 
personally, I think of guys just like wanking out their instruments. Not that kind of instrument, the other kind of instrument. Um, Like they're just trying to like (laughs) show what they can do. And and not that Symphony X doesn't show what they can do. They're amazing uh, musicians. But like they care way more about the melody and the song and the overall everything of it than most just straight up prog. First of all, how dare you? Yeah, you heard me. Second of all... You're wrong. No. There are plenty of prog bands out there that can do the odd time signatures and show off what they're capable of and still be a very melodic band where you can tell what riffs are going on and they're enjoyable for people who don't have a degree in calculus. I mean, <laughs> my, Michael Michael Romeo is one of the best underrated, underappreciated, and least talked about guitarists in mm-hmm. all of heavy music he is amazing yeah. he can play anything yeah that he sets his mind to yes. he could be a, a new version of ingve if he ever decided to go into the more ingve style if he chose to absolutely but with symphony x he chose power he chose progressive metal because he's <laughs> he's able to do the t- odd time signatures where they feel like it's all in four four which is the standard uh, style for a lot of people or six eight or three four depending on how it is sure. uh, specifically for ballads or more of a swingy kind of feel sure but all of the members of symphony x are able to show off all of their creative sides Absolutely. and they can be they can show off those proggy sides where you don't necessarily know where it's going to be going even if you listen a few times like it's still very shocking sometimes to see like how they're able to get back into a riff from all of the bonkers things that they're able to pull off but it's not to the point of like straight up prog metal it's just not Look, not every prog band is the Vandergraaf generator, Lynn. I mean, you got to quit Nor looking at prog that be. way. I mean... And, well, I guess you're talking about progressive metal, so I guess I should say not every prog band is Haken, <laughs> to, to make it a little more updated for you. Because, first of all, I don't even think you've checked out the Vandergraaf generator, no. so y- that could be your favorite band for all you know, and you'll never know. You're right, I will never know. <laughs> But Symphony X, they write big, long epics. The Odyssey is 24 minutes. It's not a 24-minute power metal song. It is a 24-minute prog epic. It is a 24-minute power prog song. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. We can't say it like that. They have to be one or the other. That's the whole point of this segment. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, I feel like lyrically it's way more power-oriented than prog-oriented. And there is an argument to be made about that, but they also write about a lot of things that prog bands have done. Like it, when you look at Paradise Lost, there's a lot of overarching ideas and lyrical concepts that are shown throughout different prog metal bands, especially at that time. Like what? <laughs> Well, I mean, just look at the album cover for an instance. You know, it's about, like, the rise of machinery, the downfall of mankind. Yeah. A lot of prog bands, like Dream Theater, explored those same ideas around the same time, like, with Systematic Chaos. Sure. But, I mean, Power Metal talks about, like, the decline of civilizations, too. They do, but it's not usually the machine future and now, with it being done to death, now AI downfalls of mankind i mean they're doing an updated version of it there is an argument to be made for that as well but again like when you look at its song structurally they write so many different kind of prog ideas they have a lot of songs that are in five four or five eight depending on how you look at it they 
they explore what can be done progressively Absolutely. through the music. Absolutely, they incorporate elements from different genres, but it's under a power metal lens. But especially, but. I'll show you. But the la- <laughs> the last couple Symphony X albums are not power metal; they are prog albums. I, Everything I, after Paradise Lost is more of prog than it is power. You cannot tell me that's not true. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I haven't kept up with their most recent stuff as much as some of the older stuff. But burr, 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 burr. What a hot take that you got there. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you knew this. That's why you brought them up. <laughs> hey, you can't, don't say everything behind the curtain. <laughs> Gotta leave some secrets. <laughs> I am opening up the curtains. <laughs> See, so again, like y- you don't have all the information before you. Y- you haven't really kept up with Symphony X, showing <laughs> that they have become more prog than power metal. I will say they started off more power metal, but they've gotten more prog over the years. See, I've heard the opposite a lot. I think a lot of people would say they started off more prog and went power. Maybe they're turning back around. Well, I guess we're just going to have to save it for the new new Symphony X album whenever that comes out. Yeah. Is it going to be more prog? Is it going to be more power? Or is it going to be Adrenaline Mob? As I've said before, and I will always say it, you can take Russell Island out of Adrenaline Mob, but you can't take Adrenaline Mob out of Russell Island. Never. The fact that he wears a sports jacket with no shirt on underneath. <laughs> <laughs> or if he has a button-down shirt, none of the buttons are buttoned. <laughs> but what about you? If you enjoy Symphony X, if you've ever heard them before, leave a comment on YouTube or go to our social media pages yeah. and let us know. Do you think Symphony X is more power or prog? And if you say they're progressive power metal, you are taking the fun out of this segment. So choose one. Are they more progressive or more power metal? Choose the right way. Mine. Or mine. Up next is a brand new segment that I originally wanted to do something like this on the YouTube channel. But I thought it would be way more fun to save it for the podcast because I love doing these list with the metal fairy yes like i've talked about before and we're going to talk about it i think next week or the week after uh we're going to be uh talking about our top 10 favorite albums of all time yes and that was originally gonna be the first one of this idea but i wanted to start it a little bit earlier mm-hmm. and do a genre that you're very familiar with yes. talk about the top 10 power metal albums of all time yes and with this segment every week we're gonna be doing a different top 10 of something yes i think it's mostly gonna be music predominant but maybe we'll do horror movies maybe Adventure we'll do also. games we can do uh, a top 10 traumatic episodes in our lives you know <laughs> <laughs> you know it's endless possibilities exactly. on the on the heavy debriefing podcast but again you know it's just like to really show off your knowledge of one of your favorite genres i wanted to start with the top 10 albums of power metal yeah now before we get into it what was your basis for picking your top 10 yeah so i went into it thinking you know if i want to sit down and listen to power metal like just straight up power metal what are the 10 albums that i would go to you know, there might be other albums that I like, possibly even more than some of these ones that um, are at least partially power metal or kind of a power mix or whatever. But Hey, that was the last segment. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I should have put Symphony X as number one on my list now that I think about it. How dare you? <laughs> but, you know, if I want to sit down and listen to power metal, what do I put on? 
And that makes a lot of sense. Um, I basically went with what I consider to be power metal in my eyes. Yeah. Like uh, the ones that, you know, it's like kind of like you. Like um, when I want to listen to a power metal album, these are the 10 albums that I go for. And they're not necessarily just like straight up uh, stereotype power metal. But all 10 albums are power metal adjacent, at okay. least. That's fair. Uh, who's going to go first? I think you should go first. I should go first? Yes. Okay, well, the first one I have up is one of the newest albums on here. Uh, it came out last year. It is quickly become my favorite album from the band. It is Hammerfall with Hammer of Dawn. Mm, yes. My reasoning behind this is you would think it would be the King Diamond. But that's actually probably... Oh, I can't believe I'm saying this. That might be the worst part of the entire album. (laughs) Well, the most disappointing. (laughs) Yes. Because when you think King Diamond is doing a guest spot, you think he's going to be doing lyrics. You don't think think that he's just doing backup vocals for four measures. (laughs) And you can't even hear them during those four measures. No. Like, you can kind of hear it at the tail end of when it's all done before it goes into the last chorus. You can hear that really high King Diamond falsetto. But that's it. Like, I wanted King Diamond on Venerate Me. (laughs) Yes. But the rest of the album, uh, and the song in general, Venerate Me is one of my favorite Hammerfall songs now. Mm -hmm. But the entire album, it feels like one of the most darkest Hammerfall albums. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, it is still cheesy as all get-go. And that's what I love about Hammerfall. They're always going to be cheesy. Mm-hmm. But, like, it took a darker edge. You know, kind of like a B-horror. You know, it's like, it's it's campy, it's cheesy, but it's still dark. And yeah. I love that about it. And it still has all those great Hammerfall flavorings behind it. You know, the great catchy courses, the solos in the right spots, double bass all over. Oscar's amazing guitar playing. It, mm-hmm. It's got everything that I love about Hammerfall. Just updated for 2022. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a great album. So what's your number 10? Okay, so my number 10 is the band Heavenly with the album Virus. Um, so if you're not familiar with them, they are a power metal band out of France. Uh, they've I think they've been around since the mid-90s, but I think their first album wasn't until like the 2000s. Um, but this... It, there's such an amazing symphonic, um, clean style mix, like a little bit of Halloween sounding to them. Um, he has such a unique, like kind of high pitched voice. Um, they're just so good. And this album in particular, um, is a little bit darker than their previous albums. And it's just, it's such a great album. And Heavenly is one of those bands that you showed me early on when Mm -hmm. uh, we first got together. And they're a band that I haven't listened to enough, but every time I've heard them, I've thoroughly enjoyed them. Absolutely. All right. So uh, going into number nine, uh, continuing on with the cheese, potentially the cheesiest power metal album ever made. There is is an (laughs) argument to be made. And who knows? Maybe we'll do that... uh, in that segment of what genre is it, maybe we'll take it a bit more on the debate side on uh, who's the cheesiest band out there. Ooh, yes. But I feel like this is one of the cheesiest albums ever made, especially in metal. It is Dream Evil with the Book of Heavy Metal. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I feel like this is one of the cheesiest ones. And all you need is example A 
the title track. <laughs> All you need to do is listen to the lyrics and know how full of Velveeta, mozzarella, cheddar. <laughs> it's got every style of cheese, whether you love it or not. Even the stinky kind. Yes, but sometimes that stinky cheese just hits the right spot. <laughs> You're ashamed of it, but sometimes it hits the right spot. And it's not just the title track. Every song on here is fun. Uh, it has great ballads behind it. The great rockers as well. And it's the album that really put Dream Evil on the map. And while maybe lesser power metal fans really don't know about Dream Evil, maybe they are just more of like the Sabaton or Dragon Force kind of people. Maybe they don't know Dream Evil. They should definitely check out Dream Evil. It's one of the best European power metal bands for that cheesy goodness. Yeah, it, it's a great album. They are definitely up there on the cheese level for sure. But yeah, good oh, choice. So thank you. What is your number nine? My number nine is Falconer with their self-titled debut album, Falconer. Ooh. Yes. Um, I love Falconer. I love Falconer. They are one of the most consistent bands ever. Like they never put out a clunker. Um, Matthias has one of the most beautiful voices ever. He just has that super well-trained voice. I mean, he does like musical theater on the side, I know. Um, and, and musically, they're just such a like distinct sound to them. I feel like they're power metal, but they're kind of just more refined, I would say. And this first album is such classic sound for them. Um, it's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And if you do check out the like, special edition of their album that they have on Spotify now. It has a couple uh, acoustic tracks. Um, definitely check that out. And that was probably one of your favorite concert moments ever when yep. we saw Falconer's last ever show. And before I get into what that was, I had the very last in-person interview with Falconer yes. as a whole band, which I still can't believe I got to say that. But what I was going to be saying is during that last show... Somewhere near the end, like uh, the middle to the end, they decided to bring out a couple stools and do mm -hmm. a couple acoustic songs. Mm -hmm. And you started tearing up hearing it. Oh, I'm, I cried like a little baby. <laughs> I think we brought this up on a previous episode too, but yeah, they, uh, one of the songs, Wings of uh, Serenity, that is one of the songs on the album. It's also one of the songs they did live and it, check it out. Yeah, it was very moving, and I'm so glad that we got to see that show. But uh, continuing on with this list, at number eight for me, I have a band that was once considered the greatest power metal band of all time, and in later years has become a power metal adjacent band of all time. <laughs> of course, it is the band Sonata Artica. Ooh. And I went with the album Silence. Okay. Wolf and Raven was my very first Sonata Artica song. Nice. I love the band. Uh, I love this album. It's arguably one of the last great albums from the band, depending on how you look at it. I mean, of course, uh, I'm thinking more of the 2008 re-release, but, uh, you know, some stylistic changes started happening after Silence, where things kind of went into a different direction. I, I can already see that you have some thoughts on this. But, like, to me, Silence just has that perfect power metal feel that I'm looking for, where it's not as cheesy as, say, Dream Evil or Hammerfall, but it is very whimsical. It is very uh, filled with a lot of great luxurious lyrics, but it is super fast heavy metal at times. 
uh, some great ballads, and of course, uh, Tony Kako. Yes, I did that intentionally. Tony Kako uh, just had some amazing superior vocals on this album. Now, uh, tear me a new one, as I know you want to. <laughs> um, so I love this album. I love this album. Uh, I love Sonata Art. Well, I loved Sonata Art. <laughs> um, their first. We all loved. Sonata Artica. <laughs> so this is their second album. Their first four albums, I would say, are Im- impeccable. Absolutely amazing. After that is when they started changing styles. So not after this one quite yet, but this is a solid choice. Like, I, Wolf and Raven is one of my favorite songs by them, and this is an amazing album. Um, yeah. So when are you getting a tattoo of the chorus? I'm still waiting for that. There's a few tattoos I want. That's another segment we get into. What tattoo should should uh, the metal fairy get? And, uh, and just in case you're curious, neither of us have tattoos yet. No, not currently. Yeah, so we're not true metalheads. I know. I apologize. Right. And I can already see the views going down now for the oh. podcast. But... Hey, we still enjoy the music. Exactly. So what is your number eight? My number eight is Dark Moor with The Gates of Oblivion. Why didn't you go with the Formula One album? I mean, that's a close second. <laughs> but no, uh, I love Dark Moor. They've kind of changed styles somewhat over time. But The Gates of Oblivion is... Uh, I can't talk about Oblivion. <laughs> is is just... It's one of those, like full-on fantasy albums like you just get lost in it you're it's like it's they're reading you a story like a fairy tale story essentially like it just takes you into a completely different world super symphonic just amazing it just it just kind of brings a smile to your face yeah and i really enjoy early dark more then they made a turn (laughs) A, a formula one turn but i i really it's another band that I should listen to more of Dark Moor, but everything that I've heard from them in the early days, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Absolutely. So at number seven is one that, for some reason, you didn't agree me- with me on when we did our top ten albums in 2015, where I said this is one of my favorite power metal albums of all time, and it didn't make your particular top ten. No. It is the supergroup Kane's Offering with Stormcrow. The look you're giving me right now, it's yes. judgmental. Yeah, I am staring daggers into the Metal Fairy's eyes, <laughs> if you can imagine that right now. I love the debut Kane's Offering album so much. Mm-hmm. It even has a song about the Sandman on it. Uh, no, not the ECW wrestler. No, not the Spider-Man villain, but the, the DC <laughs> Sandman. Trust me, if you haven't seen the Netflix show, you should definitely give that a shot. You will cry like a baby. But there's something about Stormcrow that just hits me so much harder. The songs hit me harder. The production is better. Uh, The vocals are absolutely captivating to me. It just feels like the band, if this is their last album, I feel like they went on a high note, even though I don't want this to be the last Kane's Offering album. But you just look at everyone that is a part of the band. Everyone is incredible and have has masterworks of albums that they've been a part of. Mm-hmm. So why don't you feel the same way? I don't have anything against it. I like it. I like the first Kane's Offering album more. I absolutely love uh, Timo. I love Yanni. Amazing, amazing stuff. But it Jens just... Johansson from Hammerfall. Hammerfall is that Hammerfall? the name of the band? Hammerfall. <laughs> 
Oh, yes. Nothing against it. It just didn't happen to make my top ten. Fair enough. Yes. Your number seven. My number seven <laughs> is Labyrinth with Return to Heaven Denied. Oh, I love Labyrinth. They're so good. Uh, Rob Tyrant on vocals. He has such an amazing skilled voice. Um, a little bit of a prog mix to it too, but just such a good mix of melodic and speed. And they just have that classical element to them. They just, they sound high class if that makes sense. <laughs> I, it just, it, it, it's so good. It's so good. And yes, this is, um, probably the most familiar I am with Labyrinth is this particular album. I think it is because it is your favorite Labyrinth album. Yes. But, uh, every song on it just absolutely rules. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, I do feel a little sophisticated. It feels like I should have a top hat and cane while I'm listening to it and have you a little should. monocle. You should. Because it is very sophisticated, as <laughs> you said. And I wish more people knew Labyrinth. I mean, Me they're too. a great band. Yes. Uh, my number six is, uh, apparently a repeat band. It okay. is Falconer. Oh. Uh, but uh, unlike the self-titled album, I chose the final album mm -hmm. uh, from A Dying Ember, which I feel is the culmination of everything Falconer tried to do with brand new material. Uh, I know Stefan really wanted this to be the finest Falconer album. He wanted to combine all of the elements, folk, speed, power, a little bit of black metal kind of hinting at his previous band, especially when you listen to the end of the song Rapture, where it goes into some black metal moments. <laughs> not vocally, of course. I yeah. mean, um, Matthias is not a black metal singer by any means. No. And uh, a little sidebar to that, uh, he really is one of the best singers that has ever been on a metal record. Absolutely. And I wish more people gave him a chance I, I know a lot of people won't because there's not enough gruff and growl to his vocals, that his vocals are more theatrically trained. Yeah. It. I've heard some people say it sounds like he's doing a Disney soundtrack over power metal. I'll take I it. <laughs> I will take it, too, because he has such a magnificent vocal style. Mm -hmm. And I wish people would appreciate that more. And I think checking out the final album from a dying emperor is a great way to show that off because again it's like it's like updated and brand new material but it it does feel like a best of falconer in one complete package yeah that is a, a really great album and it was definitely a high note for them to end on so and i will say before uh, we're going to the next one if you like stefan viner hall he has a brand new band that we've talked about on the show uh, recite yes. the cynic yes which if you love falconer does not sound like falconer no it, it's a very electronic heavy metal synth wave kind of stuff but that's what i love about stefan he started off doing black metal then he made falconer now he has recite the cynic he can do no wrong he can do no wrong. So, yes, what is your number six? <sighs> My number six is Angra with Angels Cry. What a great album. Oof. So, Andre Matos on vocals. He is probably my favorite singer of all time he just he was everything he had this beautiful voice Ugh, so much meaning behind his voice i felt like every time he sang and we lost him way too soon um outside of that it definitely has a lot of proggy elements to it as well <laughs> this is another one are they prog or are they power yeah, yeah. angra yeah um but it's just it's so grand it's like that perfect mix of symphonic and craziness and everything and it's just 
It's a beautiful album. It really is. I, those early day Angra albums are absolutely incredible. Absolutely. And even though it wasn't with Andre Mantos, we did see it with Fabio Leone, but the fact mm-hmm. that Prague Power, we got to see Holy Land in its entirety, and just hearing yes. one of those early day Angra albums in full mm-hmm. was something to behold. Absolutely. So, yes, at number five uh, has one particular song which I find to be the greatest power metal song ever written. It is from the band Camelot, and it is the album Karma. And of course, the song I'm speaking of is the perfect textbook definition of what power metal is to me. The song Forever. It's got the amazing lyrics. It's got the absolutely impeccable songwriting and musicianship. It has insane double bass behind it. Uh, Roy Khan's amazing vocals on it. Like, when... if someone ever came up to me, which is weird because I spend most of my time at home, but if anyone ever came up to me (laughs) and asked, hey, what is power metal to you? I would pick out that particular song. Mm -hmm. But it's not just forever on this album. There's so many great songs off this album from start to finish. It's incredible to hear. And you can't hear forever without hearing the intro track into it. It adds so much to it. Mm -hmm. And when we got to see Camelot, and uh, of course, uh, you basically got to drool in front of uh, Tommy Kervik, who uh, sang Ghost Opera right to you as you were taking pictures in the pit. Um, The way that they play Forever Live and have the crowd participation and they get everyone into it, it made me love the song even more than I originally did. But every song off of Karma is worth checking out. Absolutely. Move over, Cobra. I'm coming. I'm coming for your man. <laughs> Even though he quit Seventh Wonder? Yes, yes. <laughs> but no, this is an amazing... It's one of my favorite albums. Um, spoiler, it's not on my list because this is this is one of those albums where it, it's power, but I, I also kind of view it as just kind of symphonic and it, it's not like a go-to power metal per se album. But, what about Forever. I can I can see where you're coming from. I can see where you're coming from, but yeah, as a whole, it's just it, it's not one I've gone to as as a power metal listen. But I love Camelot. Roy Khan is one of my favorite vocalists. Casey Grillo is my probably my favorite drummer of all time. Who is now in Queensrÿche? Yes, and yeah, that's another amazing band right there. <laughs> but yeah, totally understand this pick. All right, well, I'm gonna get back to that question I just asked you about. If you can think of a definitive power metal song, I want you to keep that in the back of your head and say the first thing that comes up later at the end of this. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, just have a little bit of time. Think about it a little bit more. As we go into number four. Can I do my number five first? Oh, I thought... My apologies. I thought you did this. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize. Go ahead. Number five. Uh, My number five is Black Majesty with Tomorrowland. Um, Black Majesty is one of the most underrated bands ever, I would say, in the power metal world. They are absolutely amazing. The vocals are just astounding. And I just feel like it has kind of this... Getting back to Queensryche, okay, I'm going to go off on a tangent to kind of loop back around to what I'm trying to describe. Queensryche, for me, is one of those bands, it's a rainy day band. And maybe it's the Seattle influence and all that stuff, but like... Or the song. Well, that too. That too. (laughs) (laughs) But like, whenever it's a rainy day, I always listen to them. And I feel like Black Majesty kind of has that same sound to them, where it's just kind of that dreary day listen. Not that they're dreary at all, but like, they just have kind of that that kind of darker, mysterious kind of tinge over this power metal sound. 
And I, I just love them. I love them. <laughs> and they are a great choice. Another band that I need to listen to more, but every time that they ever come up when I'm listening to Spotify or anytime that you put them on, I thoroughly enjoy Black Majesty. And I'd love to interview them one day. I know they have a new album coming out soon. So yes. that would that would be incredible to be able to talk to them. But uh, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, at number four, and my apologies again for skipping over you. No worries. <laughs> I'm going to be killed later. Uh, at number four is actually a band and an album that has become more sentimental to me over the years. For one, the death of their singer, which uh, tragically died way too young. And also the third ever date that the Metal Fairy and I ever had. Aww. And one song in particular, I wrapped my arm around here and I knew that, yeah, I want this to keep going. <laughs> And that particular song is Battle Angels. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I am talking about Sanctuary oh. with Refuge Denied. Does he know romance or what, girls? <laughs> well, it worked for you. <laughs> so far. Well, yeah. Uh, even though the production is kind of rough on this album, it's definitely an album that you have to turn it up to be able to enjoy it because the volume is so low on this album. Yeah. Worldine is one of my favorite singers of all time. Easily top five, probably even higher than that. And uh, that'll probably be a good uh, segment to do, our favorite singers. Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, just the whole album where it's not always power metal. It's got thrash. It's got a little bit of prog. They have a cover of White Rabbits in there, which is uh, very psychedelic and weird to hear Worldane do that, oh. but they are one of the early pioneers of power metal, even if they aren't always considered to be power metal. And I love Sanctuary so very, very much. And that also reminds me that Nevermore would be a great one. Are they power or are they prog? Yeah. But this album means so much to me, and I'm so thankful that you're still with me, even with me wrapping my arm around you during Battle Angels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a great album, and I, I think we're so lucky that we were able to see Sanctuary twice. Twice? Um, I actually interviewed World Dane during that second time. Yes, so great choice. Well, thank you very much. What is your number four? Your quattro. My number four is Stradivarius with Visions. One of the best power metal albums of all time. Absolutely. Love Stradivarius. I love how keyboard driven they are. Uh, Jens is just amazing. I, I mean, thought he was in Hammerfall. No, that's Anders, my dear. Uh, no, Hammerfall? Is not the name of the band? Hammerfall? <laughs> if, you, if you're not catching on to this, it's an old joke off of um, that metal show. That metal show. <laughs> but back to Stradivarius, Timo and Timo, both Timos are amazing. Like, it's just, it's such an amazing album. I concur. And the only reason I did not put Visions on here is because I had a very good feeling it was going to make it on your list. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that we had some diversity on this because we have a little special thing that we're going to be talking about at the end of this. Yes. Where you can actually enjoy potentially these songs and albums. So mm -hmm. that's part of why I didn't pick Visions. But uh, had she not picked it, it would have been in my top 10 for sure. Yes. At number three is one of the legends of power metal speed metal and particularly on the first couple albums more thrash metal blind guardian with one of my favorite 
albums imaginations from the other side this album had meant so much to me they of course it is so deep and full of power metal but it hits folk metal it hits prog it hits symphonic moments and of course this was my introduction into here in hanzi Mm-hmm. And it has some of my favorite songs from the Blind Guardian discography, like the title track, Born in a Morning Hall, is probably my favorite fast Blind Guardian song. Yeah. Uh, just everything about this album is fantastic. Unfortunately, even though it was the same prog power uh, that we uh, Blind Guardian would have played Imaginations from the other side, we were so beat from the drop. Yes, we drove from <laughs> the Midwest <laughs> to Atlanta. Yes. And we were so dead tired that we did not stick around to see the whole album, which I'll always regret, but I've seen almost every song off Imaginations from the other side at this point, so it doesn't hurt as much. And we've both seen Blind Guardian multiple times. Hansi got me sick the first time I ever saw them because I was standing right in front of him while he had the flu. Yes. I got his set list. And I, it was probably my favorite set I ever saw from them, even if it was at uh, the worst venue in our area, the Caboose. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this album is just near and dear to me. Yeah, I love Blind Guardian. Uh, Nightfall Middle Earth is my favorite from them. And it was pretty close to making this list, but it didn't quite squeeze in. Um, but Hansi's amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, no wrong choices here. Oh, Definitely. And I, we only got four albums left, uh, two apiece here. Well, I got to do my number three still, too. I did it again. You did it again. Um, Oops, ne- next week's show will... you did it again. <laughs> <laughs> next week's show will just be hosted by the Metal Fairy, as yes. I will be uh, missing. Uh, look for me on your local milk carton. You'll be in your cage. <laughs> um, I have <laughs> number three, Ed Guy with Theater of Salvation. Oh, yes. Yes, <sighs> yes. I... I absolutely love Ed Guy. I love all their albums. They've kind of changed changed their styles a little bit throughout the years. But um, Theater of Salvation in particular, it's so, like, just grand and symphonic. But they always have that fun tinge about them, too. It just makes you have fun and smile and want to dance. <laughs> Not really dance, but, you know, shake your head a little bit around. <laughs> Toby, I absolutely love. He's one of my favorite human beings in this world. I love his vocals. I love his attitude. I just love everything about him. Yes, and a uh, little Freddy foreshadow here. I'll be talking about Toby in just a tad. Ooh. But uh, this is probably one of my favorite Ed Guy albums as well. Yes. Um, totally, totally, totally blanking on what might be my favorite Ed Guy album. It's the one with superheroes on it. Oh, um... <laughs> I'm forgetting now, too. <laughs> this is what we do, uh, yes. especially behind the scenes. When she brings something up and she doesn't know it, I forget what it is. If if I bring something up and she doesn't know what it is, same story. We constantly, constantly do this to each other. Rocket ride. Rocket ride. And it, knowing Toby, it probably is about a penis. But uh, <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, you can tell from some of the songs. <laughs> that's probably why I enjoy it. And that's also why... Uh, going back into my uh, top 10 albums from every year I've been alive list, I chose that particular Ingve album because it is the sleaziest Ingve album <laughs> when you listen to the lyrics. And I prefer the sleaze size of Ingve more than just showing off his technical prowess. 
Understandable. But yes, now my apologies again. Now we're down to our collective top two, four albums left. Number two might be a shock to a lot of people. You may not even be really familiar with this band, but it is a band that has become very near and dear to my heart. And being a nerd myself, being a metalhead myself, and being a power metal fan myself, how could I not love this album as much as I do? The debut album from Power Paladin with Wings with the Magic of Windfire Steel. It has everything that I'm looking for. Absolute cheese, nerd cheese, which is so great. I mean, it has Craven the Hunter as a song. They play the theme from Zelda in a solo. Uh, during uh, one of my favorite songs, Righteous Fury, they have a song about Castle Grayskull. They, it just has everything that I love in Nerdum, but it's in power metal form. Yes. And that's not the only reason I like it. I love it because it's actually done magnificently well. Mm-hmm. The production is stellar. Everyone a part of the band or guests on this album is fantastic at what they do. I can't believe this is a debut album. This feels like a band that has been going strong for decades and is putting out their best material, which means that their next album is absolutely going to crush or they're going to take an Ascendia. <laughs> I hope it's not the latter, but yes. this album is absolutely magical. And if you love nerdy gaming, comics, cartoons, all of these things in your power metal, I cannot recommend Power Paladin enough. Yeah, definitely an amazing album. Like you said, it doesn't sound like a debut album and definitely excited to kind of see where they go from here if they came out this strong. So totally understand why this would be number two. I remember our first death punch show. Oh boy. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I can't let it go about Ascendia. I know. I know. (laughs) What is your number dos? My number two is Sonata Arctica with Winter Hearts Guild. Ooh, another repeat. <laughs> yes, so this is my favorite album from Sonata. Um, I just feel like this album has like a, a unique sound to it. So in one of the ways I attribute this is this is when they were between keyboard players. So Miko Harkin was their keyboard player on the first two albums. And after this, they brought on Henry Klingenberg. But with this album, Tony did all like the bass keyboards and then they brought in some special keyboardists for some of their songs like Jens Johansson did The Cage and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like it almost has like more of a personal sound to it. And I think that's kind of why. Um, but it, it has everything. It has like songs like The Cage that are just full on power metal anthems. But it also has like softer, deeper songs like The Misery. Like I love The Misery. <laughs> So it's just such a good mix, and I I love Tony's voice. I love just that Sonata sound. Yeah, it is definitely one of those albums. I mean, obviously I picked Silence for this one, and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad at least, I mean, I haven't heard your number one yet, but at least there's no repeats that I'm aware of. But I'm glad that we're showing off two different sides of Sonata Arctica Mm -hmm. on here. Uh, Well, at least from the good era of Sonata Arctica. Yes. But uh, yeah, there's so many great songs on here. And when I, when I saw Sonata Arctica, they were fantastic live. Mm-hmm. I caught a drumstick at the show. But they only played one fast song. Only mm-hmm. one fast power metal song. Yeah. And that was The Cage. Yes. And I wish I would have saw more. I, I don't know why they don't play Wolf and Raven every song. That should be like their Inner Sandman or their Ace of Spades. Like that should be a mandatory song that they have to play live. I know for a long time they weren't doing that song live at all. 
and that just blows my mind. But yeah, this is a fantastic album, and I'm, I'm glad you picked it for number two. Absolutely. And of course, we have come down to our top choices for our top power metal albums. Yes. And of course, I had to pick the album that has grown to be not only my favorite power metal album, not only my one of my favorite albums from the year it came out, but one of my favorite albums in general, which is a little bit of a Freddy foreshadow into something that we'll be talking about in a couple weeks with our top 10 albums. Sorry to give it away, but it's... So nice. I'll talk about it twice. It is <laughs> Avantasia with their darkest album, Ghost Lights. Mm-hmm. Every single song is perfection. Mm-hmm. There is not a down note on any song on here. It is a brilliant all-star cast. The only thing that's missing is the song a Mystery of a Blood Red Rose was written with Meatloaf in mind. Yes. But unfortunately, that did not come to be. But Toby does a hell of a meatloaf impression during the song. Of course, sounding like himself. But you can definitely <laughs> tell it has meatloaf vibes behind it. Yes. But there's so many great songs behind it. Uh, the title track is one of my favorite fast power metal songs. Mm-hmm. Lucifer is one of my favorite duets ever Oh yeah. in a song. Just there, there's so many great things about this, and I know one of your favorite Avantasia songs, if not your favorite Avantasia song, is "Let the Storm Descend Upon You." Absolutely, yeah. This is one of my absolute favorite albums as well. That is one of my favorite songs. Like you said, everything about this album is perfection. It's not on my list just because I don't like. It is power metal, but there's so much more to it as well. So I don't, again, I don't look to it as like a power metal listen. I did. It's just one of those amazing albums overall. And it's understandable. And, and again, like if you can appreciate uh, Jeff Tate, like uh, uh, him on this album is some of my favorite work he's ever done, including when he was in Queensryche in the early days. Mm-hmm. Like he really shines on this album. D. Snyder shines <laughs> on this album. Uh, Sharon Denadell. Um like there's so there's so many people that I could be uh, talking about on this album, but there's so it it's just an album experience that I hope more people check out. And it's so strange to me because like looking from like Spotify records and stuff like this, this is one of the lowest ranking Avantasia albums, which I do not understand no, at all. Not at all. That to me, this is their best album, one of the best power metal albums, and just one of my favorite albums of all time. Totally. So, numero uno, what do we got for you? My number one is Symphonia with In Paradisum. Ooh. <laughs> so this was, if you're not familiar with uh, Symphonia, they are were a kind of side project band uh, for Timo Toki, formerly of Stradivarius, Andre Matos, who we talked about earlier, formerly of Angra, uh, Shaman, so many bands, Viper. Um, also Miko Harkin, which we just talked about, was formerly in Sonata Artica. He was also in a lot of other projects. He played on a Kane's Offering album. He played on... Uh, he was in Mahida and Wingdom. Um, he played on the first uh, Solution 45 album. Lots of stuff. He's one of my favorite keyboardists. And they came together and made one album. And it is perfection. It's everything you could want out of a power metal album. It's symphonic. It's 
fast paced but a, like amazing diversity throughout Andre's amazing beautiful voice the crazy keyboards and the crazy guitars and it's everything it's perfection yes anytime that you've ever played this for me I've thoroughly enjoyed it it's a- it's a masterwork of a super group in the making. Absolutely. And it was so disappointing that they never got to make a sophomore album, but mm-hmm. at least the debut soul album is so good. Yes. And that'll never be tarnished. No. And there you go. That's a look into our top 10 power metal albums. Uh And just in case you wanted to check these out a little bit more, we got mm-hmm. a little surprise that uh, we're doing with this now. Yes. Um, well specifically when it comes to music when we do it this way we have put together a spotify playlist of a track off of each album that we talk about so you know sonata and falconer will be brought on there twice but i don't Mm -hmm. think that's such a bad thing but uh there will be a spotify playlist for you to go over and check out these songs and see if there's anything that you dig off of it Uh, all you got to do is check out the description below wherever you're checking this out and check out our collective top 20 power metal albums and now that we talked about music for a bit although we'll be getting back into it it's time for us to talk about some other entertainment that we've been enjoying starting it off with the old boob tube itself even though it's not really in the shape of a boob anymore it's almost all flat screens (laughs) it is television and the only thing that we've really kept up on outside of like watching stuff on youtube or watch or uh, the separate stuff that we watch what we finished up was the boys all three Mm -hmm. seasons of it so far and now that we've seen all three seasons so far hopefully season four coming out in 2024 what is your thoughts i absolutely love it it's hilarious and it just makes fun of everything it really got more into society this uh last season i mean it, it did all along but um, definitely picks apart the political nature, shall we say, of the world we are living in right now. And it's just hilarious to see their take on it. Yeah, like, it feels like every season has, like, its own kind of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, season one was probably the most shocking. Uh, season two probably had the most story development. And yes. the third one is probably... Uh, the most uh, close to hard-hitting real life that it gets to, with the exception of probably my favorite moments of the entire series so far, Herogasm. Oh, yes. Which uh, is one of the uh, greatest shocking, (laughs) jaw-dropping things that you'll ever see when it comes to superheroes. Yes. And I definitely want to pick up that comic series at some point, if it's at a reasonable price. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is a side story to the boys as I've looked into, but yes. uh, I'm glad they included it for the full show. <laughs> yeah, Herogasm, you can kind of guess what it's about from the name. Yeah. But I thoroughly enjoyed the show. Uh, yeah, the way that uh, Homelander basically becomes Trump throughout season three is something that is just fantastic Mm -hmm. and it has me so scared for what season four has in store (laughs) and with it being so much of like a the climate of what the world is right now it also has me very scared about what's going to be happening in the next year or so with the u.s elections coming up but if you have amazon prime or if you have a way to get it for well we watched it all in a weekend yes so it's it's very very bingeable if you have the time oh yeah definitely but um if you can check it out for a weekend or if you have amazon prime i highly recommend the boys and also on said boob tube even well this technically counts as television too because 
you know, that's how we watch it. Yes. It is the art of professional wrestling. <laughs> and of course, uh, pro wrestling from Mexico, down there it's a real sport. But uh, <laughs> in America, you, you know how it goes. But uh, yeah. we did watch Dynamite and, f- for the first time in quite a while, Rampage yes. as well. Uh, there was a specific high point for me from my childhood. <laughs> uh, I've grown to hate, well, not... Eh, I hate the association with the song nowadays. But a ECW alumni and one of my favorites growing up, Rob Van Dam, yes. showed up and is probably going to lose to Jack Perry next week. Yes. Or, well, in a few days now, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just great seeing him. He did the spin kick. He did the R-V-D <laughs> thing that I grew up with. His girlfriend and wife weren't there, though. <sighs> A life that we all wish we could live. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting Rob Van Dam to show up, but uh, it was really cool for the Nostalgia Berries. And I'm sure he's not signing to AEW, but, it, yeah, it, it just it, it got a pop out of me. It got me excited. What mm. about you? Yeah, it was cool to see him. Um, I'm glad he's getting a little bit more camera time than Sabu did. <laughs> I was sad about that one, but... One of your biggest wrestling crushes at one time, yes. Sabu. Yes, Sabu and Jerry Lynn back in the day. Jerry Lynn, of course, from Minneapolis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the other main thing that really happened, uh, even though it was kind of a, a low dynamite, was... Uh, the announcements of the main event for All In over in London at yes. the Wembley Stadium. Yeah. It is MJF versus Adam Cole, which I am yeah. thoroughly, thoroughly shocked that that is going to be the main event. Yeah. I mean, they've kind of been building this relationship between the two of them. You knew something was going to happen at some point, but you, I don't know. You didn't really know what to expect since they haven't really announced much at all for the uh, the the Wembley Stadium event. So I feel like we're not going to hear a lot until probably the week of, because uh, I imagine that there's a lot of things that go into flying to London, making sure that everyone can get there, finalizing everything. But still, it sucks when you're a wrestling fan because it's fifty bucks. You you want to get what you're paying for. Yeah. And well, when you don't know what the matches are going to be, how can you be excited about it? Yeah. At this point, it just feels like Tony's pulling a Vince McMahon. So. Pretty much. But to go back to uh, MJF and Adam Cole to quote your favorite Dream Theater song. I really feel that moment of betrayal happening soon. (laughs) It's gonna happen. Maybe. There's a reason why they call him the devil, MJF. Yeah. It, it's it's going to be sad when it happens, too, because you've seen this friendship blossom into one of the most happy-go-lucky relationships in AEW, but it, it's going to end tragically. But, you know, MJF is finally, like, in his way, making nice with the audience. I feel like it's going to be Adam Cole who turns on him. Ooh, like, like how Jack Perry had turned on Hook. Yeah, yeah. That could happen. And I feel like um, Roderick is going to be involved, too. And sadly, uh, the kingdom as well. Oh, boy, yes. The Canelisai. Yes. But um, because of one particular match, we actually decided on a Friday night, instead of uh, gaming and Mm -hmm. listening to podcasts and YouTube videos like we tend to do, we actually watched 
Rampage. Yeah. Now, the reason why we normally don't is because, A, all of the matches uh, happen right after Dynamite. Yes. And all of it gets leaked, and there's no excitement because you can, if you just go online for a couple seconds, you'll know everything that happens. Mm-hmm. And it just takes all the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. But one particular match caught our attention, a kind of a throwback to a few years ago with a parking lot brawl. It was uh, the Best Friends versus Ortiz and Santana back in the day. Yes. But now it was the Best Friends and the Blackpool Combat Club. Yes. What were your thoughts on the second edition of this parking lot brawl? I mean, it was okay. But like the first one, I absolutely loved this one. It just, number one, like we talked about, it should have been a three versus three to begin with because Orange Cassidy and Wheeler Yuta kind of came in later, but they should have just been involved from the beginning. Um, And they kind of just tried to recreate a lot of the same stuff and they didn't really implement a lot of new stuff. So like, eh, it was fine. It was fine. (laughs) But we did get to see Sue. We did get to see Sue. Trent's mom. Yes. (laughs) From the best friends. But yeah, there was a lot of blood, a lot of broken glass, a lot of cars destroyed that Tony Khan probably paid for in a used parking lot. Yes. But it was fine if you've never seen the original parking lot brawl from AEW. Yeah, exactly. But that's always going to be my favorite. And I have to say it again. Santana and Ortiz should have been tag team champions at one point before everything dissolved. Absolutely. In speaking of screens, uh, you know, last week was a chock full of movies that we watched, but this week we didn't see as many. No. In fact, uh, outside of us watching different stuff together, the only movie that we saw together we actually saw yesterday as of the day of recording this. Yes. Uh, the brand new horror movie from my favorite horror production company, A24. With Talk To Me. Yeah. Now, this is definitely a movie that was more up your alley than it was mine, as I'm not really too much into, like, the ghost, spirit, possession kind of thing. Yeah. But I actually got warmed up to this one, and it actually made me start to appreciate things a little bit more. Because it was done so differently than what you expect. Yeah. So, what did you think of Talk To Me? I really liked it, and the more I think about it, I like it more. Like, it, it had, like, a lot of the classic elements of, like, kind of possession uh, movies and stuff like that, with kind of a unique twist of adding in the hand. <laughs> um, but it also brought in a, a kind of a deeper side of kind of experiencing loss, especially as a teenager, experiencing the loss of a parent and kind of what that can do to you and the kind of state of mind that can put you in to just not be yourself. Yeah, and so too many people can relate to the idea of losing someone very important to you when Mm -hmm. you're in your teenage years or you have something very traumatic happen in your teenage years. Absolutely. And no judgment at all for all the hell that you have to go through whenever it comes to loss and pain Mm -hmm. like that. All of that said, this kind of movie also made me hate teenagers again (laughs) because every single character had one character flaw that made me hate their guts. so much yeah but all of that said i did enjoy it Mm -hmm. it's got those moments like oh you're so stupid don't do that don't do that but Mm -hmm. it ends up happening anyways because it's a horror movie Mm -hmm. but um there's some really nice twists and turns that you see some uh, very brutal moments that you don't see coming and it's all wrapped up in a really intriguing story which Mm -hmm. If uh, the online rumors are true, we'll be getting a prequel and a sequel at some point. And 
I have a lot of, uh, it feels like there was a lot of loose ends, a lot of questions that needed answers. Yeah. And it feels like a prequel and a sequel would probably answer all of those. Yeah. Well, going off of your hating teenagers, I think it did a really good job of showing like how social media has kind of ruined people like especially in the one of the opening scenes like something tragic is happening i won't give too much away but instead of being friends to somebody who's supposed to be their friend they just all have their their phones out and they're filming it for the social media content and it just kind of makes you think a lot about you know what where are those lines these days are there real friendships out there um, what is more important, you know, showing this on your social media or being a human being in the real, you know, world right now. And also to go into a little bit deeper when it comes to that, absolutely. With the social media that we have right now, the easy access to being able to record everything and being recorded on, uh, I also feel like that's almost human nature as well, too. I don't think it's just in our particular time. Yeah. I feel like if this technology was around decades upon decades ago, Mm -hmm. people would be doing the exact same thing. The exact same ages would be doing the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about, like, uh, what's the term? When you drive by an accident, you stop. Rubbernecking. Rubbernecking. Like, that's been a thing for as long as cars have been around, I'm sure. (laughs) So it's always something. But like you said, it just it's made it a lot more easy and it's put it out there way more publicly. Yeah. And to go back into earlier topics, you know, like Ian Watkins of Lost Prophets. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the first person to do what he did. Oh, no. But through social media, there's a lot more attention drawn to it. Oh, sure. And I feel like a lot of, sadly, the stuff that he did was happening, but there was like no proof, no evidence. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a... Silent judgment of uh, you don't say anything to anybody that uh, was really a huge thing in in past lives. But now everything is so open, it feels like the floodgates have come out more. And I don't Mm -hmm. think necessarily that's drawing more people to do it. I think it's just exposing that more people are doing this than we knew before. And probably making it easier too, though. Yes. As a particular uh, podcast that we enjoy, I think Chris Hansen would absolutely agree with you on that one. Yes. Yeah. All right. More stuff to talk about on that Black Mirror of ours. Uh, gaming. Uh, I have been pretty much uh, playing uh, Far Cry 6 for the most part. I have not picked up back on uh, Ion Fury as, uh, like I mentioned in the last episode, that boss just made me so <laughs> mad that I do not want to go back to it right now. You not throw anything at the TV. Yes. It is a very nice TV that we have. Nicest TV I've ever owned. Nicest sound system I've ever owned. I'm not breaking that <laughs> stuff. But uh, I've been... Uh, Far Cry 6 is a game like Borderlands to me, like Skyrim for you, where I just get lost in the world and I like exploring everything. Yes. I like doing all the stuff that's attached to it. I've been checking out the DLC for Far Cry 6, not the Stranger Things one, uh, which really grinds my gears. Really, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, they decided not to include that in the season pass, which, uh, you know, that's why they call it a season pass instead of getting all the DLC. <laughs> Which uh, is additional money when I already spent uh, enough for the what was supposed to be the full version of the game. And then you have to add on extra money. No. But um, it's all the villains of uh, Far Cry 3, 4, and 5. You play as them and they're all kind of lost in their own minds. And they're trying to escape their own minds with like trauma and different things that have happened. So it works on a really cool level like that. Um, It's what's considered a roguelike as well where you will constantly die over and over again and you restart at the same spot 
but some things you get to keep over from past things, uh, some of the weapons, all of that stuff. But uh, it's been very enjoyable. Each one runs about like an hour or so if you're good at it, but it's yeah. it's really enjoyable. Yeah. And um, there's some games that are coming out this week that I'll be uh, talking about uh, at the very end, but uh, uh, for you, how, how goes the Skyrim? <laughs> uh, Skyrim is good. Not a whole lot to report on that side. Um, on the mobile front, though, I've been playing Love Island the game still. This week really annoyed a lot of players. <laughs> so all throughout the season, they've been teasing this ex that you used to date and that your twin, apparently, who's on the show with you and who annoys us up to this point, um, had a kiss with at some point after. Um, and then they just, the, the ex, like, up and left. They're a musician, apparently. Um, and they've been kind of teasing this ex the entire time. So at the end, they bring in a bombshell. And we always, we kind of been predicting the entire season that this is a the person they're going to bring in. Nope. Some other random guy. <laughs> And not only that, he's not even available for you to get with because he's interested in your twin who you hate. And the entire se- or episode this, or the like three parts of the episode this week were basically all about like the twin and stuff. Like it's it's not even about you. The twin is the main character this season. <laughs> Isn't that the best when you're controlling a game and you aren't even the biggest part of the game? Yes. <laughs> your options are so limited. <laughs> uh, mobile gaming has... Especially with the dating simulators. Exactly. It's still a world I know you wish you could be a part of. And there's nothing, there's nothing stopping you. I mean, (laughs) she packed her bags. (laughs) Pre-flights. But, but no, I know it's a good escape for you. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, we'll be getting again, a little bit more into gaming at the very end of the show. But, uh, but first got to talk a little music and I'm going to let you go first on this one as, I showed you a band that uh, you've quickly warmed up to. Yeah, you uh, turned me on to Black Braid. Um, definitely enjoying them. Need to check them out on my more on my own a little bit more first, but um, definitely enjoying what I hear so far, and they're all fun to look at too. So it never hurts. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is Black Braid? Uh, so they're kind of uh, I don't even know how I describe them. They're like a little bit of black metal, a little bit of kind of almost folky elements to it, I would say. Um, but a, a little bit of like clean stuff with it too, as well. So it's, it's a good mix. Yeah, uh, go a little deeper in that. It's it's a genre that I lovingly refer to as North American folk metal. Yeah, where it's very blackened, but they have a lot of North American folk elements to it where yeah. a band like panopticon will have more bluegrass and country where uh black Braid has more of the native american spiritual mm-hmm. side to them mm-hmm. and uh i've seen some people say that they don't do enough of the native american music and i find that kind of jarring like you're telling native americans that they're not yeah. playing their style enough I think it's a great mix of what they're doing with the black metal, the Native American spirituals, and just their own vibes that they have going on with it. Uh, They had an album come out last year, and Black Braid 2, it just shows the band getting bigger and better. Totally. Um, Another thing we checked out was the new single from Angra. Yes, we did. Um, getting back to our conversation from earlier with our top uh, 10 lists, um, they had a really nice tribute to 
um, Andre in it, which I, I felt that was very touching. But overall, the music um, definitely seemed a lot darker and it, it feels like they're trying to be a little bit tougher sounding. Um, I did enjoy it, but I'm just kind of trying to wrap my head around it and kind of curious where the rest of the album's going to go. Yeah, but this song in particular, it feels like it's a bit more downtuned. Yeah. It, it feels proggier, which I know is not your bag. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of great power metal moments throughout the song. Yeah, absolutely. But it just feels not cohesive, which is so strange. Like, mm-hmm. there's one particular moment that lasts like eight bars mm-hmm. that feels like they could have completely cut out of the song and it would have made the song so much better. Yeah. yeah. Which is very, very strange to me that Angra would do such a thing like that. But. Yeah. I'm still optimistic. It's been a few years since the last Anchor album, and I'm yeah. still going to have some high spirits behind it. I, Definitely. I don't think it's going to be as disappointing as other albums I've looked forward to in the past. <laughs> that is true. Um, and then I also checked out, there's a new single from Twin Temple. Oh, uh, you didn't tell me. Yep. Uh, Burn Your Bible. <laughs> you checked it out without me? I, yeah, I listened to it this morning. I had to have something to talk about. Okay. <laughs> it's for well, the show. It's content. Right. <laughs> but no, um classic Twin Temple sound. If you're not familiar with them, they're a satanic doo-wop duo. Um, yeah, I mean, even if you're not like into the satanic lyrics, you know, listen to the music. It's fun music. <laughs> I think if you didn't tell your mom the lyrics, she would probably enjoy the sound. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's a unique sound. She has a great voice, totally fitting for that style. And yeah. And they are soon to be going on tour with Behemoth yes. as well. Didn't, and they toured with Iron Maiden. Oh no 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 no! My apologies, my apologies. I got I got all this wrong. Uh, they are going to be uh, going on tour with Danzig. Okay. And um, uh, they opened for Ghost a year yeah. or two ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did Behemoth last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been really getting around with a lot of bands. Yes. Uh, not Maiden. Uh, within Temptation toured with Maiden last okay. year. I thought for some reason I thought it was them, but never no, mind. Yeah, uh, we don't always have our facts straight. We apologize. Yes, we're human. Yes, we're a podcast, not a news show, <laughs> even though we talk about the news. But uh, also, in speaking of uh, touring and uh, Black Braid, they're going to be coming to town. Yes. Uh, they're going to be opening for Wolves in the Throne Room along with uh, Garia and Hoaxed. Yes. And in a shocking turn of events. This might be a show we go to. Maybe, maybe. Um, for so many reasons, both worldwide and personal, we have not gone to any show in almost four years. Yes. And we were going to go see Hammerfall and, of course, Halloween a couple months back, but for so many various reasons, we decided not to go. Mm-hmm. This show is at a much smaller venue with, I only can imagine, a smaller crowd. Yeah. And they actually have seats. So we fe- we might feel a little more comfortable going to this one. Yeah, they also have like kind of a bar restaurant area right by it. So if we need to escape from people, we can for a little while. <laughs> and of course, uh, the Metal Fairy will probably be throwing her bra at Black Braid. Yes, I, I will be, so look out for that. Now, will I be in shame or encouraging her? The only way to find out is October 1st at the Amsterdam Barn, <laughs> barn Hall. <laughs> but uh, we're still deciding if we're going to go to that. But um, yeah. I think it might be a good one to go off on because Possibly. 
as I've said before, I don't want the last show that we ever see to be Demons and Wizards. Yes. For obvious reasons. Yeah. And finally, to wrap things up and uh, just checking things out, we're over an hour and a half now. I'm I'm glad that we can talk this long without getting sick of each other. Exactly. But um, there's some stuff coming up uh, that uh, both of us are going to hopefully enjoy, or at least stuff that we're looking forward to. Uh, I'll have you go first on this Yeah, one. so I just have one thing on my end, but the new King Cobra album is coming out this week on the 11th, so definitely looking forward to checking that out, see what they're all about this, this day and age. It's so great to see Carmine Apiece uh, go from his fight with Nikki Six that happened a few <laughs> months ago, and actually come out the other side with a new album. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I actually got to interview Carmine uh, several years ago. That was that was a real treat as a, uh, say, in-transition drummer for myself. Like, yeah. uh, I currently don't have a place to play right now, but yeah. maybe one day in the future I'll be able to play again. Mm-hmm. But uh, getting the Tots one of the greats, that was pretty cool. Absolutely. And a couple of things for me, uh, just gaming-related, uh, both coming out on Friday. Uh, the first is WrestleQuest. It is a wrestling mm-hmm. RPG that looks like that classic Nintendo style. Uh, it does have the uh, uh, turn-based action, which I know is kind of jeering for some people, and some people that's the only way they love to play. Um, I'm very intrigued by it, by all the people that's a part of it, from Andre the Giant to Macho Man Randy Savage to Dave Meltzer is going to be a part <laughs> of this game. So I, I'm very curious about it. Definitely. But um, probably even bigger for me, it is free DLC coming out on Friday, Broforce Forever. Oh, man. One of my favorite left-to-right shooters of all time, Broforce is finally getting some free DLC with some brand new characters and levels (laughs) and storylines. I thought it was the sequel to Broforce, which it's still possible there could be a Broforce 2. Yes. But this is free DLC that's coming Aww. to the game, and I can't wait for Friday. Potato gonna... chip. A Broham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you've never heard of Broforce, it it's basically one cheesy 80s action movie, and every character is based off a of 80s to 2000s action hero, but they incorporate bro in some way. Yes. Like Rambo is Rambro. And it's uh, hilarious animations of them. Yes. Like the explosions are insane. Uh, the blood and the guts that happen in the pixelated style. It, <laughs> it, it, it looks like a Nintendo game, but it is so, so much fun. And I can't wait for that on Friday. Absolutely. And, and with that in mind, I think that's a good spot to wrap things up. And thank you very much for checking out episode four of the Heavy Debriefings podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to let us know on social media. Of course, on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, all at Heavy Debriefings. And if you really enjoy the show, make sure to tell us whether Symphony X is more of a prog band or a power metal band. Don't think I forgot about that. <laughs> um, and if you liked our top tens, make sure to check out the Spotify. Yes, it'll be featuring a song off of each album that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And of course, the link will be in the description, no matter where you check this out. Uh, also coming up for Heavy to Briefings, uh, today, as you're potentially checking this out, I have my interview with Marzio of Cataclysm to talk about the brand new album Goliath coming out this Friday as well. So mm-hmm. I'll be listening to Cataclysm as I'm playing Bro Force. <laughs> That'll be fun to do. 
uh, I and the day after, I'll be having the top ten albums of 2021. Ooh. We're almost done with the whole series. Yes. Where next week, not only my birthday, Woo. but will be the top ten albums of 2022. And then after that, we will be discussing our collective top 20 albums between the both of us for the years of 88 through 22. Absolutely. And for the Metal Fairy... This is Josh Runquist for the Heavy Debriefings Podcast saying, see ya.